Hey, it's Monday, a new week, a new week of BBC programming. Once again, I'm Brent Leary, and I have to say, it's not that BBC, it's the Brent Broadcasting <laughs> Channel. I, I don't want to get in any, you know, international troubles, you know, by playing off of the other one, but no, this is the Brent Broadcasting Channel. And once again, this is another week of, I think I'm going to be doing something every week. Um, I mean, it's just a lot of great folks to talk to and uh, topics to talk about. And today is definitely no exception. Actually, you probably have seen uh, Anon with me before because he's been on a couple of times. And then uh, they actually invited me on uh when they were doing this really great podcast uh, well i guess it's a podcast so you didn't see me but uh it was a great podcast uh, what was that called over at martech advisor what was the name it's of that called podcast? talking stack talking Stiff. stack clever yes. name Love it. Uh, it was a nice name and you know david rab was uh your, one of your co-hosts and Chitra ayer was another one of the co-hosts he was like the, the host and the moderator and that was a, just great conversations and so we had a chance to talk all the time. You used to be in Atlanta. You're still close by. So I feel like you're still, you know, the spirit of you is still here with us. So good to see you, man. Good to talk with you. It's great to see you. Thanks for inviting me back. And it's great to always have a conversation with you about anything in the space, except for the Rams, because I really don't know a lot about the Rams, to be honest. So, But, uh, you, know, you know, you can talk. I can listen and learn. <laughs> the only thing that, I, you know, that you would have a problem with me is is if you're a Patriots fan. So if you're not a Patriots fan, we're good, man. <laughs> I think we're safe there. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Fagel, I hope you're out there and I hope you heard that. Okay. <laughs> so no, you're, you're, you're a guy I always turn to when it comes to MarTech. MarTech, I think, I mean, you helped build the, uh, the MarTech landscape. Uh, how many was the last one? It was like over 7,000 companies on that thing the last time? Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't uh, worked on it for a couple of years. Partly I was in the midst of an acquisition of our company and then there was just family stuff. But uh, yeah, for about two and a half years, I guess, <laughs> two years officially. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, by the time I was done with or I, my last tenure it was about uh, 7,000 some odd companies. And then I think it's up to eight now. So um, but you know, it's, it's becoming one of those things where it, it's less about the number, right? We know there's just a lot of technology out there, but, uh, to what degree is there a movement in the space and understanding a lot of that? And so that's part of the reason we, you know, try to get help, try to help Scott, you know, he's done Scott Brinker, of course, if, uh, for those of you know, the godfather of MarTech and, you know, he's an incredible guy, humble individual loves, and is incredibly passionate about the space. I think he loves it more or as much as one of his children, but he, uh, oh. <laughs> he's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely, uh, someone to follow and, and, and certainly, uh, listen to what he has to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's more about, cause I mean, even the 8,000 that's on these landscapes, um, it's still not, uh, covering the entire scope of what Martech means. And, uh, it's, uh, certainly a different challenge. It's sort of a different view into the world. As I tell people, you know, the reason I got into MarTech because it was a, a view, it was sort of a, a microscope or a scope into a lens, excuse me, into uh, the world of business or the future of business amongst other things. Um, I tell people I'm the intersection of people, data and money, and that can cross over to business, politics, you know, just society in general. I mean, it takes so many different things, but it's an interesting space to be in. So, 
So this is, uh, we've been trying to have this conversation for a while, so I'm glad we were able to do it. <laughs> That's right. And I'm actually kind of glad it, it came about now instead of before, because a couple of different things have happened. One thing I want to talk to you about, but just to lay the groundwork. So I knew you, I think I became aware of you when you were still at Salesforce, but you were at Salesforce because Salesforce acquired Exact Target for $2.5 billion, And before that, like, not even all that long before that, <laughs> you were at Pardot, and Pardot got acquired by Exact Target for about $95, $100 million. So you've been involved going way back. And then, of course, you worked at a couple of other different mar uh, marketing automation companies. You had your own company. You, you just talked about it being acquired. So, And then you're an investor. You, you just do a lot of stuff in this space. So it's great to talk to you about this stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, to just interject, I mean, I, I never, I've worked with Salesforce and I've worked closely with Pardot, um, but I never really ended up, I, I just around, right? So I think you knew me <laughs> when I was just floating in, in the behind the scenes of the shadow of the space. Uh, at the time we were, I was actually working at Silverpop. No, no, no. Actually, I had just left Silverpop. We had accomplished what we needed to do. And then uh, I was on my own doing some consulting. And uh, I think we were introduced by uh, Mr. Kyle Porter over at Sales Law. Oh, Sales at Law. Sales, at, sale, at, at, one of the, at Dreamforce, as a matter of fact. So, okay. Partly because we were both from Atlanta all the way out the other side of the world. And then, uh, you know. That's right. So were you at the, uh, what was the other, not the uh, pop, what was it? Silver Pop. Silver Pop. You, so were you at yeah. Silver Pop before they got bought by IBM? Or? I was there before they got bought, right. I, uh, okay. Yeah. My, uh, my charter there in terms of marketing operations was to help, uh, you know, transform the way that we did things internally and uh and then you know kind of reposition it for growth in a sense and uh i had a great i had a great boss and you know i was probably a terrible manager but you know we, we managed <laughs> they we managed to do some good work and uh and then some of the folks that uh, picked up from where i left off had done incredible work incredible job so it's uh but yeah i mean so many solar poppers uh permeated throughout the space i mean the last time that something like that happened was eloqua um, but, uh, but yeah, good times right. and, uh, certainly keep in touch with most of those folks there. You're like, uh, you know, if a company wants to get acquired, bring Anand in and have him work there for a little while, because eventually that company will get acquired. <laughs> Silver pop, IBM, uh, part exact target. You did a double on that one. So it went from part to exact target from exact target. To Salesforce. Yeah, I learned a lot while they were while I was watching things from Pardot and certainly supporting the the local, you know, the local because Pardot was headquarters in, headquartered in Atlanta, right? And yeah. it was one of the few Martech companies that pretty much were in the area doing their thing. Uh, it was a bootstrapped company, but you know, by David Cummings and Adam Blitzer. So we'll probably bring Adam back into the conversation a little bit later, considering. Um, but uh, two incredible, uh, you know, co-founders with a bunch of incredible team members, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they they adopted a lot of the same principles without actually having to do it on the West Coast, and uh, it was an incredible story that they were. Not, yeah, it was. They were acquired by Exact Target, and then Exact Target got picked up by. Uh, Salesforce. So I couldn't really buy Pardot stock or, you know, equity beforehand. <laughs> no one would let me. And so I was like, all right, they got bought by exact target day of go buy some exact target. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, Salesforce were picking things up. But yeah, it, like I said, we, we, I was talking about this earlier. Movement in the space is so incredibly interesting. The narrative on that alone is, uh, is awesome. And, you know, having a little bit of a financial markets background, this is probably more my 
my uh, sweet spot in terms of watching the entire MarTech space include, and the talent side and the leadership side of things uh, just as much as the technology and how they piece together. Nice. And it was just good to see Atlanta representing. I like to see Atlanta represent. And that's funny because th- let me take this off from Alan. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was co- interesting because, you know, a lot of people don't know that Atlanta was a pretty, it is, and especially back then, was a pretty hotbed for marketing automation because it wasn't just part out. It wasn't just silver pop. There were a couple of other ones. Uh, I know um, what's sales. What's that company? It's a marketing. No, it's there's sales fusion. That sales was another fusion, one. Yeah. They took it because of the name. Yeah. Sales they, fusion, they, but yeah, yeah, they took a different approach. Uh, quick yeah. commentary on that. I mean, they took a different approach. They said, look, you know, why just have marketing automation for just marketing? Why not bring marketing and sales together? And of course they were mm-hmm. way ahead of its time. So, right. like, and then you know, people didn't buy- figure that out until later on when the whole ABM thing came around. But then, right. Uh, then we had, and of course, um, they got bought mm-hmm. by sugar. That's right. That's right. They did. Um, then we had uh, Core Motives and Click Dimensions were both on the Microsoft side of things, and yep. uh, they were competing on that front for marketing automation, which really wasn't uh, very prevalent in the marketing, uh, excuse me, the Microsoft ecosystem for a while. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, people who were getting into it, but primarily a lot of folks were in the e-commerce side of things. It didn't feel like marketing automation was as valuable to them as, unfortunately, Batch and Blast was at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And then people got smart to it. And, you know, both Click and Core Core Motives was picked up by Silverpop. Uh, You know, some nice, uh, you know, local action there. And then uh, Click Dimensions is, you know, uh, is is, uh, thriving, you know, uh, still out of Atlanta. But, yeah, a lot of marketing automation talent, a lot of marketing technology talent out of Atlanta. Uh, I actually did this, uh, ran this tool just to see how we fared, um, called uh, Spark Toro by Rand Fishkin. If you know Rand, he's uh, oh, yeah. Mr. Moz, SEO, SEM, anything search. And he uh, you know, I was like, who's having conversations about marketing technology? And of course, Boston, you know, number one. And then there's New York Ugh. and Toronto. And then a couple, of, and then Atlanta still made the top like five list, right? So, I know. We're, we're in there. We're in there. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're in there. But Boston being number one is just, it hurts my heart. Just, I just had to get that out of there. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got a lot of good comments coming in. Um, and and with your background, uh, this is perfect setup because last week um, on CRM Players Weekly, um, me and Paul, we had a, a really uh, actually was that last week? It was. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it was. Last. I'm, all, it I'm was. doing so many of these things. It's like I'm, I'm kind of losing right. count. <laughs> but <laughs> we did have on one of our buddies in, in an in a industry thought leader, Jesus Hoyos, on and he talked a little bit about marketing automation and maybe one of the biggest challenges about marketing automation particularly during a pandemic i want to i'm going to play a clip for you so that you could get it and then i want to get your feedback on the other side of the clip absolutely all right here we go uh, it's always scary when i go to the clip because i don't know <laughs> all right let's see if we get it marketing automation is based on using only one email we don't have one email today and the whole data model for marketing automation, when you bring that into CRM, it, they, they don't go together. And when you move from CRM to, to onboarding, the same thing. You know, we're everywhere, you know? So, you know, we have multiple phone numbers, you know? Uh, we have more than one address. So that, that right now, because we need to, you know, be closer because of the coronavirus to the customer, it needs to be really defined. And, you know, and we thought probably, you know, privacy and GDPR and preference centers are going to bring that, you know, or whatever is called the customer cloud, the customer 360. 
but still it's not it's not really well defined within the technology and the processes all right let me bring you back in so that was just last week and i thought jesus made some really interesting uh points about you know those those challenges are already there with the, the with the data model being kind of broken but the impact of that brokenness during a pandemic and trying to engage customers and keep keep up with where they are today and what their needs are going to be tomorrow that seems to have been that challenge seems to have been deepened and uh exacerbated i guess because of what's going on what what do you think absolutely i mean i i think Jesus is, I mean, if you have a chance to just sit down and listen to the guy, I mean, you just love listening to everything he says, whatever he says or whatever he talks about. But, you know, if you listen carefully to what he was talking about is that, you know, the way that things were built were very much somewhat antiquated. Uh, and if we're talking about, uh, and it's not just so that that's not the technology again, right? This is never about the technology being a limitation. It's more of the way that we want to implement it and how we want it to magnify the technology that's out there. So, um, and, you know, I, you hear me say it like 15 times a day, right? Is that uh, technology only magnifies who we are. So if we're bad at what we're doing, guess what? We're going to use the technology or misuse it and vice versa. I think what he was talking about with regards to one email address, I thought really resonated with me because there's another problem in, especially in the B2B space where it's not only just one person with one email for one person, but then you also have one assumed decision maker per company. Uh, so in a B2B capacity, if you had five different people at a particular company and they all downloaded your white paper or did different things to end up in your in your CRM database or marketing automation database, how does your how do you rectify that? I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges behind the scenes that people didn't really talk about, and probably one of the one of the main reasons that marketing operations became like an incredibly thriving profession is how do you resolve these types of things that aspirationally the, the marketing technology, you know, these technologies have asked us to you know, embrace. Um, so I think that uh, he certainly has a point. And this is part of the reason I think uh, we should probably start looking at uh, databases that you know, connect these different uh, places. And I think uh, everyone, a lot of people have heard, especially listening in about customer database or customer data platform, CDPs. Um, and so one of the benefits of that is you're really trying to get a full, what we used to call the 360 view of the customer, right? And, you know, this is the opportunity for a brand to own the customer and the customer experience starting from, uh, again, another point that Jesus made was about clean data, having clean data. Part of the reason we don't have clean data is not necessarily through laziness or, you know, challenges with the experience of trying to in, 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 ingest that data in from third parties. But it's also we find a big challenge in having that data spread. I mean, we have challenges in terms of data being in the different technologies. So how do we how do we centralize that information when we actually need to do it? Um, and so I, I think another piece that Jesus was going, I think, could lead to in that conversation was privacy and AI. When you do have to deal with that in a plethora of, you know, let's say your stack of technologies related to the customers, 30, 18 to 30 ton, some odd pieces of technology, how are you able to even respect, even if you wanted to, how do you even respect the customer's wishes on their privacy? Or how do you apply AI in a grander scope of things that would help you, um, you know, navigate what that really respects? But, but Brent, I mean, what do you think that, you know, Jesus was kind of, I didn't hear the, the, you know, part before that, but what I led up to the conversation where he was bringing that up, I think it was a interesting note that he brought up, but it must've been inspired from something from before. Well, 
uh, I think it's, it's, it's inspired by the fact that it's, it's hard to communicate, uh, meaningfully communicate uh, with customers, generally speaking, because of some of the issues around the technology and because the, the data model is kind of broken and spread out mm-hmm. and you can't really, it, you know, there's no one channel anymore to interact with customers. So when you have kind of a bad data model and, you know, a broken communication system, this is all drives even more problems. And it kind of talks about the, let me see, is this, yeah, let me put this up there uh, because I think this kind of plays into a, a bit. If we already had issues going into the pandemic with communication um, and, and maybe the technology is, is part of that reason, but it's not the full reason. Mm-hmm. I think it, there's, there's a lot of broken stuff uh, to be spread out. Yeah, the technology right now, you know, the, the foundation of how we built our customer engagement is spread out. It's disparate. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to bring it all together. It's kind of hard to make sense of whatever the interactions are because they're coming in from all over the place. Uh, so that, man, there's a technology problem. But let's take the technology problem out of it. Mm-hmm. There's still a big, uh, I think, a big <laughs> issue with a lot of companies because, yeah. let me see, let me, yeah, because they just don't, they, they're, they're looking at things from their perspective. They're looking at how do we, you know, get people to buy more stuff and not necessarily looking at it from the customer's uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, let's face it, they could have the greatest technology, they could have the greatest platform, they could have all the data coming in, they could have their AI running and finding all these great insights. Uh, and if they don't deliver those insights in a meaningful way, in a way that will be empathetic and will connect the dots to the customer, all that stuff is for not. So I think that's where we are. I mean, that, I mean, and to take it one step further, this is really what I want to get to with you. Um, so we know, and, I, and I've talked to a number of companies, I'm sure you have. Uh, there are a lot of folks who you know, just cut the spigot off when it came to yeah. doing any kind of marketing, uh, you know, ad, pay, ad campaigns, marketing campaign. Cut it off completely just because of the uncertainty in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so... The interesting thing about that is not that they did it because yeah, everybody was kind of scared. And mm-hmm. you're starting to see some, you know, you're starting to see some life coming back to that. Mm-hmm. But I've been having some really interesting uh, conversations <laughs> about some, I'm not going to say who, but there are vendors who said, yeah, we cut it out. And guess what? We're doing all right. We're not going to be going back <laughs> to what we were doing before. We're not going to be spending that money the way we were spending it before. And I have a suspicion that the few companies that I talk to, they are just representative of what I think is going to be happening on the other side. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen if that's the case, if all this programmatic stuff that was going on before the pandemic um, you know, got cut off, things may be coming back but at some point they're going to come back but it seems to me that there's a movement from a lot of these companies who spent a lot of money and did a lot of this programmatic stuff they might be not coming back anywhere near where they left off are you hearing anything like that Uh, yeah absolutely i mean we're, we're seeing it on a couple of fronts i mean covid shook a lot of things up uh there's a lot of um you know certainly allyship in different uh, arenas that, uh, you know, that brands are needing to be very, uh, uh, aware of at the very least and very actionable on how they do things. And the old models don't support a lot of those purposeful missions moving forward. Um, let, let me roll back a little bit because 
yeah, on on the front of talking about programmatic advertising and what that means, or excuse me, like in terms of businesses actually cutting off marketing or just cutting out marketing or cutting out advertising. I think a lot of times you just, there's a lot of opportunity to just do things regardless whether it's the highest performing because you've got to do them. You've got to spend, you're going to budget this, what everybody else is doing. You, you you have the fear of missing out. Oh my gosh. If I saw like, think about it like billboards or TV ads, or let's say Super Bowl commercials. People have this fear of missing out because, oh man, my competitor did a Super Bowl commercial. Therefore we should strive to do something similar. Well, we don't live in that kind of world today. There's not a limited channel of ways to engage with a customer anymore. And those things start to change. And many companies that I've talked to or have heard, you know, heard from or learn about as I hear about, they, they try to take one channel and think that's the silver bullet rather than trying to diversify into a portfolio. So I think for companies who are cutting out the people who are, let's say, marketing departments. I mean, one of the things I've been striving for, and I mean, you kind of know this, I've been working intensely with companies for the last eight, nine months now. Uh, trying to navigate them through uh, the COVID or any crisis, uh, some of those crisis situations. And, you know, one of the first things is, you know, marketing, yes or no. And that's not the right question to ask. That correct question is, you know, is the marketing efforts or spend that you have, are they engaged in building a relationship with a customer? And if it's not part of the journey or, you know, if they're not responsible for the entire journey into back into the, the business operations of the company, then yeah, maybe you need to consider cutting it because it's an expensive spend and you're basically competing. You're selling against yourself. You, you spend a dollar, someone spends 105, then you got to spend 110, then they, get, they spend more and then you have to spend more. Um, but if your marketing spend is, rela- you know, is basically driven on developing a deeper relationship, meaning you are training your staff, frontline staff perhaps, uh, at a retail store on you know, developing better experiences, or you're working on the digital journey for how people buy, or trying to come up with different ways to help your customers make a decision or help them say like in a fintech world, like you have some sort of financial services option, you're trying to help them be better financial uh, financially savvy. If you're doing those types of things and the customer feels like you're helping them through that, that's whether they buy from you or not, they become those advocates. And I think that's where spend it. That's the part where you can elevate over your, across your other competitors by sitting there and focusing on that. A lot of people say that, but they're not talking about, they're talking about limited to the digital spend, but there's a lot of pieces, uh, beyond the ad, uh, digital ad. And I think that's what a lot of companies are doing, Brent, is they're, looking at all the, you know, the grand scope of things and saying, wow, really ads aren't bringing, you know, the, the conversion rates we're looking for, or perhaps aren't giving us the awareness that we're really hoping for. But I think a lot of that will change over time and everyone will evolve. I'm always a believer that, you know, <laughs> people, people and companies will evolve because either they need to, or they go away. Well, that's like, uh, Darwinism right there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's at its finest. Right there. But I, I, I think, you know, Rolf has mentioned it. You mentioned it. I mentioned it. I'm sure Alan mentioned it, unless he's still talking about the Jets or something. But uh, the whole idea <laughs> of empathy. And, right. and what I've noticed, you know, the programmatic, the programmatic stuff, there is absolutely no empathy involved. That's just pure. <laughs> we know data. We know where you've been. And we're going to follow you and hound you wherever you go on the web. And you see pop-ups. And it's like you're just ridiculous. And it makes you not want to buy anything. So there's <laughs> zero. I mean, there's, they did a lot of work on the analytics. They did a lot of data aggregation. They've been you know, looking at the insight, knowing where you're going to go. That's great. Right. Zero empathy when in yeah. the actual activity 
and the action. And I think that is driving people crazy. And that's why I think you're seeing folks because in the pandemic, what the thing that you need most is empathy in order to you know show folks, like you said, that they care and that you're creating a, an interaction that is based off of not just data, but it's based off of data and delivered in an empathetic way that lets people understand that you you care. Right. And I think that's where I'm seeing, I think there's an opportunity for a shift in uh, some of this budget away from just pure programmatic, pure analytics, pure, you know, retarget, and to have to do a little bit more work, which requires you to really understand, not just know where you're going or know where they're going, but to understand why, and then to create an interaction opportunity that takes that into consideration so that you don't spend all your time and effort, you know, and money on pure analytics and understanding mm-hmm. without being able to deliver that understanding in an empathetic way. I, I agree. And, you know, the reason I tend to hesitate using empathy in, in some of these conversations is because we don't, we don't define that well, right? I, I think that's one of the problems is we don't say what it is that we're doing to be empathetic. We're, we're like, yeah, for example, I mean, you're training your frontline staff to be uh, your team members to, you know, better serve their customers, or you're trying to, you know, find a better, you know, an easier way for people to pay for their merchandise online, or you're trying to understand how to elevate someone's profession. I mean, I think if you're going to use the word empathy, then you need to say exactly what you're trying to accomplish. At least one thing that's more specific than just saying, oh yeah, we're going to be empathetic. You know, that's the, that's the kind of crap that gets all these companies in trouble is they go find a lot of these you know, empathy consultants and then guess what they're asking you to do too. And there's a lot of good ones out there. And you know what they're going to tell you? They're going to say, what are you doing that makes you empathetic or more empathetic than someone else? Um, so I, I agree. Empathy, you know, certainly Rolf is correct. You're correct. I mean, empathy is a magic word as Rolf is saying, but you know, until you actually define what that is for your company specifically, actionable, like what those actionable steps will look like or what's the goal look like, you're not going to get anywhere, right? And, and you know, we've seen some uh, you know, matters come up where people are like, oh, well, you just, you know, changed your logo and, you know, put out like a press release and you think you're done and it's not, right? You have to do more than that um, you know, to, yeah. to, make, to make that magic happen. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. They're, they have resources. They, they have spent right. a ton of resources on, I mean, and I'm not, I don't want to make uh, light of the amount of effort and, you know, finances it took to, that it takes to, you know, identify where, where your customers are engaging and integrate the, into those channels and get that data in and analyze that data and understand that data and, and try to find insights that will impact, you know, at that time, at the right time that's a ton of work. That's a, it's a ton of uh, money and it takes a ton of you know effort, but why go through all that and then fumble when you actually go to address that person? Right. If you right. haven't spent a little time, a little effort, you know, get, it doesn't have to be this like a 50, 50 split here, but it, it does have to have, you have to spend some time, not only understanding, but then how do we best communicate our understanding? How do we mm. best communicate that insight? So that when we do, you know, interact with somebody, they're more likely to understand where we're coming from and that we're on their side and and we're trying to deliver some value for them right. at the time they need it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, yeah. you know, 
I oh, think, no, no. And, yeah. and, and, and the, you know, a measurable way to look at that, just this is just back of the napkin kind of thing, is, is look at retention, right? How many people are you keeping as customers if you're in this, you know, subscription-based world? Um, you know, how many people are advocates of yours, like active advocates, not just liking something on, you know, one of the social media platforms. I'm talking about they are out there selling on your behalf. They're proud to be part of your company as a result of things. Um, and then the third piece would be how easy has it been to recruit? Right. So if you if a company is doing a great job of having empathy um, and it's being well demonstrated, you'll see people come in that want to work for you. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe it's a little skewed today because COVID has, is going to cause a lot of, uh, you know, shuffle in terms of talent opportunities and, uh, you know, and um, opportunities for um, jobs just period. But uh, but still, I mean, how many of the best talent is coming your way? as opposed to you having to pull them in and try to recruit them at like the highest price possible because, you know, you're struggling in some capacity. So, you know, think about it from a recruiting standpoint, an advocate standpoint, and a retention standpoint. Those will give you clues about how well your empathy is working. Speaking of empathy, you're right, Alan. I didn't even pop up that comment because I have no empathy for your Jets. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So, but I do like your question here. And so, Anand, would you like to tackle uh, what Alan's asking here? Yeah, there's, um, it's, um, <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't have necessarily the best advice out there for about this. I'll be honest with you. I think it's one of those things that if you were a company that was, uh, advocating for these things, have internalized these things, you're probably, you know, you'll, you'll hear that that's going to be, you'll see that happen to be very natural cause, uh, throughout the community, especially on social, especially if you see it on play out in social media. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who are, this is a grand opportunity for people to really listen. And I think that a lot of people want to say something because they feel compelled to do so, but they're not really spending time to listen. And uh, I think admitting that a lot of brands who can admit that maybe we're not fully aware or, you know, we're not doing, it, you know, you listen and then you bring up some actionable steps again, you know, I think the magic word is really actionable. Like what are you planning on doing and how are you going to hold yourself accountable? Like who, who are you going to find to hold yourself accountable for it? So um, those are some very high level things. I mean, I think tactically speaking, I don't have any necessarily, I probably would look to someone else who's a, a, a certainly a brand expert, like a, um, a Katie Martell. Uh, she's a favorite of mine in the, the arena. She does some incredible uh, work in terms of uh, how people are kind of faking their allyship in terms of, <laughs> uh, you know, brands who are trying to kind of, you know, you know, fake their allyship. I think she also has a very keen understanding of, you know, brands that do a good job, why they do a good job and how they're transforming internally to make that work. Um, so I, I certainly, if you're not, if you're following, uh, if you're following anybody, I'd certainly look to her um, as one of the people to certainly do so. And, and there's multitudes of people out there to certainly do that. But I think if you are, to be genuine, you actually have to show change um, or, you know, understand that you're listening. And I know that is very difficult for a lot of brands to be able to do, not because they don't want to, but it's just there's a responsibility to a lot of people, right? Their, their employees, their shareholders, the community at large. Um, it's not easy. So, I, you know, you're, you're in good company. <laughs> it's definitely not easy. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not easy. And it there are some who want to do it but don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But let's be honest, there's some who don't want to do it and don't care too. That's so right. That's can't, right. Can't leave those out. And 
Rolf, don't worry about the typos. We just love the comments and the questions. Yes, absolutely. Keep bringing them in. I'm one of the worst speller. I can't. uh, So I'll admit something like in the world of technology and you can ask Brent this, right? I I can't. I'm all all, all on thumbs when it comes to what you're supposed to be with texting. But uh, I I can't type with a crap. So I don't care. We can read past that. Yeah, it's all right. We don't need you typing. Just talking is good. (laughs) All right. So thank goodness. yeah. Going to get into um, let's get into some numbers. Some we we talked a little bit about some of the softer things, still important. But let's talk about some of the uh, kind of the more sure. concrete things. And and I want to bring this up because this kind of uh, this kind of got a lot of attention. At least it got a lot of attention for CRM players <laughs> like that. <laughs> so um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Salesforce did their uh, analyst event, virtual analyst event, and this is one of the slides that they uh, broke out. All right, there's a, there's a couple of different things to look at here, but I'm going to kind of focus on one. All right, well, I'll just mention a couple. Like, first, I think this is the first quarter that um, Service Cloud overtook Sales Cloud in terms of revenue. Mm-hmm. But look at, you know, the platform thing is taking everything over, which is really interesting. But what I wanted to focus on and get your take on, of course, is the marketing cloud and the mm-hmm. commerce cloud thing right there. Uh, so 700 billion, excuse me, 700 million uh, combined marketing cloud and commerce cloud for that last quarter of theirs. Interesting number because uh, it's like a, the week or two before that number came out, Adobe had you know, put their earnings out mm-hmm. and they have, you know, they have creative cloud, which is their big moneymaker, right? Mm-hmm. Still by far their big moneymaker. Uh, they got document cloud, which is, you know, definitely third in their big three. But the second one is their experience cloud. And that, pretty much is marketing and commerce driven. Their uh, quarter was 826 million. And so I was like, hmm, interesting. So hmm. Mark, uh, Adobe is actually caught up and passed. Uh, I don't know if caught up, but they definitely passed um, marketing cloud and commerce cloud combination that Salesforce has. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, was that, are you uh, surprised by that? Or is that something you, you've, been thinking is going to happen or what should we make out of that? I I think that uh, this is to be expected, but I think we'll see it back and forth, right? I mean, I I think we'll see, you know, higher growth, you know, putting relative numbers, specific numbers aside. I mean, we're talking about relative growth. We're going to see going back and forth. And, uh, you know, I I, I think we've we've talked about this before. I don't think I don't think we talked about online, but um, we did have a conversation about it with Magento being picked up by Um, you know, Adobe and, you know, a significant part of that conversation was how close can you get to the money that's being spent? Right. So we're talking about the transaction itself and, uh, and, you know, the B2C, the commerce side of things is becoming, uh, will become the hotter thing. And, you know, the other thing too, is I think we're going to see, um, uh, who can, uh, who can leverage their ecosystem really well talking about partners and customers and, you know, all the advocates within their community, as we talked about before, uh, but also, which they're both powerful, right? Adobe is incredibly powerful. So is Salesforce. The other piece will be, uh, we're going to see a lot of new businesses crop up, whether they're high growth startups or whether they're just mom and pop shops, uh, you know, with COVID uh, shaking a lot of things up. Um, so we're going to see, I think generally speaking, we're going to see a lot of that, uh, you know, grow in that capacity, but uh 
I don't I don't see necessarily see it as a surprise. I mean, Adobe's been focused on marketing for a long time uh, relative to Salesforce. Salesforce has been in it has a good tenure in it. Um, you know, I know one of the chiefs behind, you know, that front and I I guarantee you I the, you know, yeah, honestly, we I missed the opportunity to work for him one day and I you know, it's one of my small regrets, but he's an incredibly uh Incredibly intelligent, wise guy, uh, and interesting individual who sees things in a very holistic manner. So, um, yeah, I see that uh, that could be that can really play out. And of course, I know you know people at Adobe at high levels too. And you know they're they're it's funny they're going into the B two B side, and you know uh, we're seeing Salesforce move into the B two C cloud. So I think it's a natural course of action, and uh, probably a healthy one for all of us uh, to have those yeah. types of options. Well, I think um, just looking at the commerce part of it, because to me, that is, that's where everything's at right now. And you, you mentioned B2, you know, Adobe has been more B2C focused, moving towards B2B. Of course, Salesforce bought Demandware and they bought CrowdQuarries. And so mm-hmm. B2B, we, they're converging, basically. They're, they're right. kind of converging. They're, they're right. going to be encroaching on each other's kind of sweet spots. But with COVID and with that overnight switch that people had to go from shopping the traditional way to buying mm-hmm. online because they weren't afraid, they were, weren't allowed to leave their, their house. Does that provide Adobe uh, more of a growth opportunity for commerce than Salesforce at this point? Yeah, that's a fair question. I think that it's it may or may not in this stage because it really depends on who can in, in empower a small business and small medium sized business uh, that are that are that will survive COVID. And is or starting new and, you know, have that growth trajectory. I mean, Salesforce's, um, you know, uh, rise to fame has been revolved around no software. That was the beginning. Right. And that's where Benioff started off. And, you know, he's a highly technical individual more than as much as he is, a, you know, a, a, a very have a high gravitas uh, leader. But um, the, uh, the the rise in all of that has been working with startups small businesses, how do we make things easier for them? And now, you know, enterprises are using them. So whoever can win the small, medium-sized business world, that's where I think the the winner, I guess if there was to be a winner, that's where the winning will happen, especially in a post-COVID situation. This was already happening with the commerce side even before uh, with all the acquisitions. because So, I mean, COVID is just like everything else is accelerating that kind of digital um, you know, engagement and uh, act with, uh, and transaction that's happening uh, in in there, so and I, I and I wouldn't be surprised that they're going to be nipping at the heel. Like there's going to be other companies nipping at the heels for them as well, um, on both fronts. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see who the new uh, players that will come into play uh, that will come into the light uh, that start to push on the Salesforces and the Adobe's and their product base and how are they changing the way that. Um, in, uh, that type of interaction is done, or how do they enable you know these businesses or solopreneur uh, you know uh, you know founders uh, who are starting new businesses to uh, you know simplify their operations so they just get going and start selling right away as opposed to worrying about stacking piecing their stack together and what that looks like and how pretty that might look. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I it's going to be fascinating to watch because as commerce becomes uh, e-commerce, digital commerce, wherever you want to put it becomes more a part of the customer engagement you know stuff right not crm (laughs) but it is part of their customer engagement platform uh and all of them are all the big guys are doing that Mm -hmm. um it'll be really fascinating to see just how much 
of the you know, activity, the interest is going to be coming through that angle and how much of the B2B aspects of commerce starts to really be transformed and be more and more digital. As you know, we're looking at having touchless everything to, to a certain extent. <laughs> so, so Brent, do you, do you feel like, I mean, I, you come from the CRM side of things. Um, I mean, we're, I, I always talked about the fact that one day we'll just be talking about the same stuff, no regulars, whether it's CRM or marketing related. And I think we're almost there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but where do you see, I mean, is the, is the notion of CRM changing in this new dynamic uh, past COVID? And if the push into commerce is occurring, how does that look differently than, say, from a marketing perspective or a, a you know, sales perspective versus a marketing perspective? So, I mean, the, the, the traditional pillars of CRM with sales automation, market automation, and service. Mm -hmm. And sales automation has basically been around B2B, around helping right. uh, you know, folks who are selling. You know, traditionally, it was face-to-face -face selling, um, but you know, not just commerce in terms of consumers in terms of you know people going to get a coke or something like that but you know selling big stuff to big companies or you know middle stuff to middle companies or right. you know you're just selling which is a completely different process traditionally than if you're just trying to sell somebody you know something for their home or for their car or whatever uh that's all being transformed that that was going on before covid mm -hmm. i think covid just accelerates like you were saying yeah and covid kind of reveals who you are and what you are but it also amplifies and accelerates what you are unless you know what you need to do in order to change that <laughs> i think there's a lot of companies that are are just kind of starting to realize that they should have been changing that before COVID, but now COVID is accelerating all of that stuff including how they sell and and how they you know set their sales processes up um so yeah crm is just like any other aspect of business, it's got to change in order to meet the changing expectations of the customer and the journeys that they're they're looking to take. So, yeah. And that's why commerce is, is impacting CRM probably more than vice versa, you know, because right, right. if 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 uh, your business process is being transformed digitally, that means it's going through a whole different chain and channel than it was previously. So you're the people that were responsible for your selling they're going to have to change in order to fit that. So mm -hmm. I think it's just huge. And it's going to be, you know, things that are taking place now because of COVID, they're going to be a significant amount of it is going to be around after COVID. It's not going back to what it used to be. Uh, I'm not saying the new normal. I'll just say the next normal, because there's always going to be some kind of change to what normal is. And then it becomes normal again. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that it's, it's fascinating to see everything that's taking place. And, I want to ask you about one last thing. Yeah. Kind of this is a perfect setup because when you think <laughs> of CRM, you, you really over the last two decades, the, the, the folks driving it has been Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And a funny thing happened on the way to all that driving. <laughs> something that I definitely didn't think was going to happen before. Salesforce is actually bigger in terms of market cap than mm -hmm. Oracle. Now, I mean, that's just that blew my mind when I first saw this. I posted it up and people are. Yeah. Yeah. What what, what was your take on this? <laughs> I, I'll be honest, like it's 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 come sooner than I thought. Um, uh, there's a there's a notion where, you know, Oracle certainly 
plays in a lot of the back office, not much of the front office and traditionally, but now has, you know, certainly emerged themselves into the front office, particularly with say acquisitions like Eloqua and some of the other ones. But, um, but this doesn't surprise me because I think the brand really does play a big role here. Uh, you know, the, the, who you're advocating for the sense of purpose. I mean, a year after Mark Benioff came, you know, started Salesforce, he started a foundation to say, we're going to give 1%, uh, one, 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 which is 1% of revenue, 1% of our time and 1% of, um, I apologize. I don't remember the last part, but it's, uh, oh, oh, the software Profit. itself. Yeah. The, uh, oh yeah. Software. Well, the, the, the software. Right. So right. if you're, you know, a foundation, I mean, th- he's had the idea of building the community for a long time, developer community, these, uh, the high growth startup community, the, you know, so he's, he's stayed focused and in his lane for CRM for sales, um, it's funny. I think, uh, there's a history there where Larry Ellison said, well, you know, I was invested in NetSuite and we were, you know, we were kind of going down that track for, uh, you know, the financial side. Um, but, uh, you know, sales enablement, you know, sales was a big component of it, but I, I don't see this to be, um, too shocking, uh, particularly because it is very easy to get up and running in Salesforce. It doesn't take a lot of you know effort. Doesn't take a lot of time. We talked about small, medium-sized businesses. Who wins that is going to start to win in the long run. Here we go, right? It's it you know there is a sense of you eventually have to be robust enough to uh, adhere, be able to adhere to the enterprise, but that can come later. Uh, so a lot of high growth is coming here. But yeah, I think uh, Mark Benioff's done a great job of. Uh, diversifying, you know, seeing and recognizing the cloud, even though that's not what he called it back then, right? He called it uh, software <laughs> as a service. I think platform as a service. Uh, I can't remember if he did the whole like uh, IaaS as well, but um, that seems to be a, a regular theme. But done an incredible job on that front, and uh, you know, Larry's been catching up. But you know, to some point, Larry Ellison should be very proud of Mark. <laughs> I mean, oh, he yeah. worked I under mean, Mark, and he'd be like, "Hey." You told me you were going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, ex- you know, basically overcome or eclipse me, as this article pointed out, and he's done that. So sometimes, you know, you've uh, you've done a great job of mentoring, <laughs> and well, you see it in in real time there. Well, the thing about it is, uh, you think about it. Not only did you know Mark come out of uh, Oracle and created Salesforce. I mean, Larry had his hand in Siebel. Yep. Larry had his hand in uh, there was there's like three uh, early on. Well, Siebel was was an on prem, but you know, there was Salesforce, there was NetSuite. And I can't remember. I think it was right now technologies mm-hmm. that That's were right. all they all came out around late 90s, early 2000s for cloud based uh, uh, CRM. I mean, NetSuite was more than that was more like accounting and stuff. But and right now is more customer service. Uh, but Salesforce is more SFA. So you they kind of yeah. all you know yeah. fit in. But uh, Larry was an early investor in NetSuite. Mm-hmm. He was an early investor in Salesforce. Yep. They had they had something else called SalesNet, and mm-hmm. I think they ended up Oracle ended up buying that at some point. That's right. Um, so Larry really had a big part in Salesforce's success in general. Uh, well, specifically, but CRM, cloud-based CRM, gen- you know, generally speaking, to the point where Salesforce has been able to show just how valuable. Uh, cloud-based customer relationship management is to the point where it's more valuable than all the stuff that Oracle does. Now, I don't, it just seems a little strange to me, but because, <laughs> I mean, think well, about database software. I mean, but, but it was so, only like three yeah. or four years ago that <laughs> database software was still the number one enterprise software. And now it's like CRM is actually I, the number one 
it's amazing to me. I remember when I was working for a company, um, small business company and uh, a small, medium sized business company in the energy space. And we were, um, there was a colleague of mine. She actually introduced me into, uh, to Salesforce and I was looking at it and we went into a meeting, um, and you know, the, the executives were like, Oh, you know, this, the Salesforce thing is just databases with, you know, with a sales label on it. So like, what, what's the big deal about that? But so here's why I think that this is another big factor is, um, Salesforce has incredible extensibility. They built around a, you know, they built around making sure that people could augment and improve their, um, you know, their, their uh, instance of Salesforce to the best practices they needed uh, versus Oracle, who's taken the position of it's, you know, we've got all of it integrated under one roof. So who do you think is going to win? And there's benefits and, you know, there's pitfalls and benefits to both sides. The extensibility creates you know, lots of integration problems, potential costs on that front. But then, you know, with the all-in-one system, do you really get the best of what you need? How much extra, you know, customization is going to be required? Um, but, you know, in the long run, you know, the iPhone, right? we're talking about like Amazon. I mean, extensibility wins in the long run because we are, you know, we've kind of evolved from uh, just requiring just an instance of something, bringing it in, and then just you know having services do that. So for now, that's another reason why I think Salesforce has you know grown so fast and then continues to grow in that capacity. Microsoft took the same mindset shift where they were we will own the world and we will bring everything under our world to now we're going to partner with people who do right. stuff better than we do, right. right? And how much has Microsoft you know as a as a side point increased? Um, so extensibility and, you know, empowering your, your customers and your, com the people within the community to make things better. It's an, it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great, uh, growth mechanism to bring more advocates that will help you make the product better. Actually, I think too, uh, you got to give them credit for trailblazer and, oh, and yes, know, that, that whole community right. of, uh, developers, you know, the, it, it fit the platform move to, to talking about being a platform and then creating this very successful educational channel around getting developers on the platform and using the platform. And I mean, you know, that was like Microsoft back in the days of, you know, Windows right. and you know, right. Visual Basic. That, I mean, they had this, Oracle had that Oracle developer network. SAP had their mm -hmm. huge networks, Which and, but too, they, yeah. were, they yeah. were aimed purely at the technical folks. Correct. Whereas what right. Salesforce did is because, you know, you're talking about CRM, you're aiming at a different audience. And I don't think anybody uh, did what they did creating this this training arm and this platform for training that's integrated into what their you know general platform. I don't think anybody else did that. You know, aim right. their their stuff right at the, the business people who, you know, get what CRM was supposed to do. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier to start from scratch later down the line, right? <laughs> when things have changed. <laughs> that's true. So I mean we I mean we were emerging into the world where people could do these things themselves. Right. That was that was pretty one another the value proposition of Salesforce is you know, you can create views the way you want. You can create reports the way you want. You don't need an IT person to help you with that. I mean, that was literally in the minds of how Salesforce, you know, went about things. And actually much of MarTech as well is like, we want marketers to use these tools, not IT folks necessarily. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, that's probably a conversation for another day where now you need to bring your IT folks into the mix because of security and privacy and all these other things, uh, processes and managing the stuff. But there's some best practices that and disciplines they they put in place that are very much needed. But but it was all around how can you do this yourself? And, uh, you know, with the extensibility, doing it yourself, right? One click, I can install something. 
like it or not, yes, thing, there's problems, but there's the, plenty of opportunities where you could one-click you know, uh, integration into your uh, solution, and now you've got this new capability available to you. Uh, versus you need to go call a salesperson and then you know either buy a new module or you have a, a you know a service a, you know professional services team or a group or a consultant come in and take care of that they were trying to he's trying to eliminate that um, so yeah I mean there's a lot of different little factors in there where people and this is part of the reason why I think this is going to continue this gap is going to continue to widen post COVID because a lot of people are going to want to do things on budget in a, in a very small budget themselves. And this ability to teach yourself how to do this, have a community to ask, be able to develop the, uh, you know, put these things together yourself and sign up on your own without actually talking to a salesperson. Yeah, that's going to be big. But I'll just say Oracle, you know, they talk a lot about customer at cloud, you know, for bigger enterprises, like you said, that want to be able to manage from a, maybe it's a regulatory or just, you know, a security and privacy perspective. Right. You know, if you're th- that big, you want maybe you do need to have a little bit more of it under your control. Try to have the benefits of both the cloud and also having it housed under, you know, behind your your firewall. So, wow, that's a lot, a lot to get, you know, the the take in and dig into, um, <laughs> which we did in a, an unbelievable amount of time. Man, this has been great. Yeah. What are you looking for? What do you want to look out for? Maybe for the next. Three to six months. I want to keep it short because hopefully by then, maybe by the time we get to that six month, hopefully things are, are getting better and not getting worse. You know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how if things calm down COVID wise, what's the in-person interaction going to look like? Um, say, for instance, in the retail space, do does McDonald's really need as big of a p- parking lot and as you know much dining room space? Or are people going to change the way they do things? I, I know that's a little off the beaten path, but that's been on my mind being a consumer for the last, like, you know, just playing consumer for a while is just appreciating the things that were that may not necessarily need to be in the future. So does that change the way that logistics happen? Does that change the way that, uh, you know, we serve, uh, you know, Uber just bought Postmates. So does that change, you know, how uh, delivery in the last mile is being taken care of? But um, but yeah, I think uh, I, I'm interested to see how retail and hospitality, less hospitality, more retail, how it plays out. You know, d- does Amazon eat the world or do we see, um, you know, different uh, experiences because people are tired of working from home or being at home all the time and, you know, ready to you know, engage in that lifestyle. So we'll have a shift back and then will it, you know, what, then what will the new normal be? Because there's going to be a not, there's going to be another not new normal when COVID calms down. And then we're going to have, you know, the, the new normal again. It's kind of like a thermostat where you, you know, you basically go in a big room and it's super cold when you get in there. Someone changes the temperature, then it gets super hot because all the people are in there. And then you kind of go back and forth. There's an effect for that. And I think we're going to see a little bit of that as well. So the next three, six months, assuming COVID, it's going to be tough, but <laughs> assuming COVID does, you know, uh, have is, is managed in some way. Uh, I'm interested to see how the retail space will pan out and not just the bankruptcies and the acquisitions, but, you know, how do we change the way that we shop? How do we change the way that we do our daily activities, like go to the grocery store um, and, uh, you know, need medical supply, you know, medical attention um, and education. That's a whole nother topic for another day. But, uh, you know, how's that going to change coming in the fall with a lot of school, you know, with a lot of kids who are, you know, asking, asking to pay, you know, full tuition for a virtual session you know, what's the value then to, you know, being in college and how does that change that conversation? Which means 
you know, how do we learn is going to change over time as well. Sorry, I threw like three things in there. <laughs> Dude, that's all right. You're looking at a lot of things. That's okay. I asked you. Uh, I it's just all like we're we're all experiencing this. This is crazy, right? I mean, there's, you can't just yeah. think about one thing. Um, each of us, I, I have to empathize together. with everybody about that, and we both do. So, absolutely. Hey, this has been great. Now, let me just uh, do a special thank you to Rolf because uh, dude was not only commenting in English, he was commenting in German. I was like, I don't even know what he's saying, so I couldn't pop it up. But I, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you doing that. And I actually appreciate everybody for all the great comments. And of course, I definitely appreciate Anand for taking time for doing this. And definitely we will be doing this again because things are changing real quick, man. I, I definitely need somebody to talk to about this. Stuff. <laughs> it's my pleasure, Brent. I love that you've been just on top of, you know, every, anybody, everybody should be following Brent. I, I, I mean, don't worry about me. Just go follow Brent. Listen to what he has to say. <laughs> Breepol is bringing on. I mean, seriously, it's going to be, he's right. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of change that's going to happen and um, it'll be great to be, to stay on top of it. So look forward to doing this again. And uh, thanks everybody for uh, bringing in your thoughts and thoughtful comments and uh, insights. Absolutely. And just to think, this is just Monday. I mean, I got, I got to be here for like <laughs> another four days in a row. Cause literally I got stuff tomorrow is with Dennis Pomerant and he just Excellent. did some great research Wednesday. Of course I'm with the bold one, the cold one, John Colderice Lawson for watching Amazon and then Thursday and Friday, you know what it is. Love it's Sierra and Players. It's Paul Greenberg. And I think this week we've got our uh, one of our players in residence, L. Nicole France from Constellation. Excellent. It's going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be good stuff. So thanks again for checking it out today. And hopefully I'll see you tomorrow.